As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Hi, hello, and welcome back to the 1983 National Football League Draft. And with the first round pick, John Elway, Jim Kelly. Welcome back to the draft. And with the first round pick, Dan Marino and Rudolph. NFL draft. And with the first round pick, Deion Sanders. I was kind of scared. I thought the show was going to take me. I would ask for so much money that I had to put me on layaway. Welcome back to the NFL draft. Good young players with the draft all about. Here in and you're out. Welcome back to the draft. Wide receivers, running back, tackle, quarterback. Every year in the draft, there has been a trade. Ricky Williams. Gone Dolphins on a shady Saturday. We're about a week away from the Dallas Cowboys draft here in the Athletic Podcast Network. Make sure you're tuning in live on YouTube for Dane Brugler, Robert Mays, Nate Tyson crew. They'll be broadcasting live during rounds one, two, and three of the draft. So make sure you're subscribed to the Athletic Football Show on YouTube. But we've got Dane here to talk Cowboys draft a little bit later. We've also got Saad Youssef off the Stars beat. KT Turner is not here for this episode. Trust me, I miss him more than you do. But we do have Father John Mishota here to break down all things Dallas Cowboys. Well, John, we've got Cowboys mini camps kind of underway. We've got the Cowboys executives talking. Stephen Jones actually was trending on Twitter earlier today. And what's trending on Cowboys Twitter? I was looking, looking earlier. I was like, oh, what? What do you do this time? John, what's your reaction to the uh, the Dorrance quote from Steven? Uh, not that surprised. I've heard him say something similar uh, since that Randy Gregory move was made. It just, this was, he went a little bit deeper this time in because, I mean, he's going off of basically sacks and quarterback pressures and things like that. Um, and I, and I get where he's coming from in terms of you're just looking at a stat sheet, but I don't think that the fan base looks at Randy Gregory and Dorrance Armstrong like they're even close to being the same. And then obviously there's a huge difference in the type of contract each one commanded. So when you say things like that, on top of not being very active in free agency, um, you're basically um, putting gasoline on a fire with the fan base. And so uh, I appreciated Stephen answering the questions the way that he did. Uh, I think he talked for about 15 minutes on the radio because I know most teams front office members don't aren't as forthcoming about things, but I knew when he said that and a few other things that, yeah, it was not going to, it was not going to be received very well on, on the interwebs. Saad, what'd you, what'd you think when you saw that on Twitter? Well, I mean, I think first of all, like it, it, it's some wishful thinking, I think from, from Steven Jones. Like I think you, when you do draft a guy and you've kind of like built him up, you kind of hope that, Okay, you've done this with Randy Gregory before. Maybe this happens again with Dorrance Armstrong. But like like John said, they're just two different players. They play different roles. Um, they even had different expectations coming into whatever their role was going to be with the Cowboys. I don't. The, the one thing I will say is, and this is something that like you know in my years covering you know just all the teams. One thing Donnie Nelson said uh, when around Mavs free agency was, um, if I'm breathing, I'm lying. Um, and around around like free agency time, and I kind of. I, I'm not saying Stephen Jones is lying, but I, like I wouldn't say that he necessarily believes 
everything that he's saying at this point. I think actions will speak louder than words. We'll see what they do in the draft. I mean, if they if they go and like you know get use a first round pick on a pass rusher, that'll tell you that he doesn't really believe Dorrance Armstrong is you know the second coming of Randy Gregory or anything like that. So um, I, I take it with a grain of salt. I'll just say it that way. I, like I don't, I I just think Stephen Jones is smarter than that to really believe that wholeheartedly he is that Dorrance Armstrong is just going to fill in Randy Gregory's shoes. It's just not, it's just not true. Yeah. And that kind of goes along with the whole idea of how, how him and mainly that's been him since uh, free agency started the idea that, yeah, we lost Randy Gregory, but with that money we were going to give him, we were able to sign Leighton Vander Esch, uh, Dante Fowler and Dorrance Armstrong. And you're just kind of like, yeah, but I, you were going to make, you were making a long-term commitment to Randy Gregory. You gave Leighton Vander Esch and Dante Fowler one-year deals that are basically, if those guys end up doing nothing, giving you nothing, you really aren't losing out big time. Fowler's deal is for like $3 million and, and Leighton Vander Esch is about the same. And then for Doran, yeah, it's a two-year deal or whatever. Like the idea that the fan base is going to take that and be like, oh, okay, yeah, that's cool. It's like, we, we're we not stupid. We know that, you know, you're going to... To, to ultimately go where you want to go, you need playmakers. You need elite playmakers. And they're not adding any of those type of players, but then they're allowing, you know, a trade for Amari Cooper. You know, they're, uh, Randy Gregory's gone. Lyle Collins is gone. And then you're not bringing back those type of players. And then if you follow that up by drafting a guard at 24, you know, that's not going to really fire up the fan base either. And I, I, I mentioned the fan base because they're, significantly disappointed as they should be with the way last year played out. And so you see a team that went all in as the Rams did and you are not, I guess if you're a fan, I think you'd be foolish to expect, okay, let's do exactly what the Rams did, but you'd hope that there'd be at least a little bit, just a little bit more aggressiveness than you've seen up to this point. Yeah. And I, I think, I think, I think also Steven also uh, acknowledged the fan base um, in his radio appearance too, where, you know, he's kind of like how the fans would spend cap dollars and things like that. And I just, you know, he recognizes that as well. Man, it was a crazy weekend. John, I went to a show with KT last week. We met up here in Fort Worth to uh, attend a little concert. And I, I meet up with him. I'm like, man, are you following this Kelvin Joseph story? He's like, what Kelvin Joseph story? He looks <laughs> on Twitter and he's like, oh my gosh, what the heck is happening so to rewind the listener there was a drive-by shooting in dallas a couple of weeks ago and they put out a bunch of wanted posters information said any information leading to the you know who did this please let us know took some sleuthing on facebook for people to figure out match some photos up with security camera footage that uh one of the people in the party involved was Cowboys cornerback Kelvin Joseph. His lawyer has come out and said, yes, he was in the party involved, but he did not shoot the gun. And was well, that was not him that did the action. So that's where we are. Kelvin Joseph has deleted all of his Instagram except for his New Jersey number. So it's the whole fresh start. Uh, well, two individuals maybe. have been arrested. Two two so. individuals have been, but Kelvin Joseph is has not, right? No, and he's and he's that their off-season program started on Monday and and he was at the star participating in that program. So, a lot of unknowns here with Kelvin Joseph, John, what would you do if you were in the Cowboys situation right now? Yeah, I mean, I think you have to move on because he's not even been on the team for 365 days and you already had concerns going into the season and then you have something like this where even if he didn't he's he's just an innocent bystander in the vehicle. He's going to get some type of suspension from the league. And I just, I don't know, like with certain guys, you just, you, you wonder if, if they get it, like, you know, of the position that they're in, uh, you know, how small this opportunity and, and, and chance that you have to even be in this position and to even put yourself in that position to do things like that. I don't know how you can, if you're the Dallas Cowboys count on him, He's not proven to you that you can count on him. So, um, you know, maybe maybe you're not, you know, drafting a guy early just because it doesn't fall to you the right way. But you 
when you look at everything that's out there right now, I don't know how, if you're that team, you're not looking at cornerback as a position that still needs to be filled. Uh, I don't know how you're looking at the roster and saying, oh, we got Kelvin Joseph. We're solid there. Uh, I, I, I don't get that at all. Another thing I wanted to say when you were mentioning all of that that stood out to me is uh, a lot of that goes into play with this too and, and why I think that things, the ball started rolling and moving so quickly is the power of social media. For that, for the Detroit, I mean, uh, the Dallas Police Department to put up those multiple different videos and it didn't take, you know, a genius to sit there and do a couple simple searches on Twitter and see how many people were saying that looks a lot like Kelvin Joseph. And then all of a sudden, you know, within the next day or two, he's getting questioned. And then a day or two later after that, there's two people arrested. And this didn't just happen. This, this murder took place a month ago. And then all of a sudden they put this out and it's like within 24, 48 hours, everything starts kind of falling into place. Uh, and like I said, there's been two arrests made, uh, you know, since when you mentioned you and KT were looking at your phones and, and, and you know, finding out that information. So, but to answer your original question, I, I don't know how they can keep them on the roster. I don't know how uh, they can't just end up moving on and saying, yeah, you know, we were wrong on this, um, you know, and, and again, and that's even with him. Uh, you know, being proven innocent, uh, if that if it comes to that, and let's say he catches on with another team and has tremendous success, uh, I'm I'm fine with that. I think that they, I think that they should move on. Sod reaction, man. I'll tell you what. I know. I know John. Like John talks about his Detroit um, link backs. For me, like you know, I grew up rooting for the Patriots, and when I just like when I saw that, and even when you're just linked to something like that. It kind of goes back to just like, I'm not like, you know, just the Aaron Hernandez situation. You When you're around the wrong people and when you're putting yourself into those situations and in a lot of ways it, the, the, where I'm drawing the parallel, even though just to make very clear, I understand Kelvin Joseph did not pull the trigger and he's innocent in that way is a lot of this stuff like like Aaron Hernandez went back to college, like Aaron Hernandez of Florida. It, it, it went, his reputation preceded him. And so I think when you look at before anything big or anything, you know, happens where you don't have a choice, I'm kind of with John. Like, you haven't really, it's not like Kelvin Joseph broke out on the scene last year. It's not like he became your starting corner. Um, he didn't, he didn't make a big impact on the team or anything like that. If you're going to move on from the guy, I think now's just the time to do it. And, and, and you know what? For a team that has a reputation of, probably taking too many chances and letting them linger for too long. This could kind of set an example of just like, you know, even if they do take chances on guys in the future that the leash is like, there is a leash. Like you can't just go around doing whatever. So um, I, I do think that like, I'm actually surprised they haven't already cut bait with him already. And the whole risk thing on guys and, 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 you know, bringing up Aaron Hernandez is one that makes me think of this too, is just, it's not not even just with the Cowboys, the entire league. When there's guys, these players have these red flags like this. The batting average of these guys getting into the NFL and then straightening out their lives and all of a sudden like putting all of that stuff behind them and these teams get the bargains is so small. I mean, Jerry and Steven will bring it up all the time about how like these things have worked out in the past for them. And every time Jerry talks about it, within the second or third name, he mentions Charles Haley. That's all I need to know. That's 30 years ago. And you guys are doing this all the time. They're just the batting average again is just like, what, what is the, the risk reward on these players that you know, especially in, in with the Cowboys because of the brand that the Cowboys are and how it just accelerates this? Like, I just, I don't, I don't know. I just, I'm not, I'm obviously not working for an NFL team, but if I did, I would not be the guy taking chances on many of, the, on many of these guys. When they, they have the red flags uh, that some of these players do come into the draft, and that's why players are falling, you know, later in these rounds, stuff like that, I'm fine with somebody else taking a chance on them. Like, I mean, yeah, maybe if I have the culture completely the way I want it, maybe I'll add one guy like that or something like that. But to just be, you know, doing this and, and having a reputation for doing this. And then on top of it, you're not a team that's coming close to winning Super Bowls. Like maybe it's time to rethink that. The lack of accountability from Kel Kelvin Joseph is what really bothers me. It took people on Facebook, I think a relative of somebody who died to match it up and to kind of get this viral thing going. Uh, you know, obviously he was involved with this, John, like you said, a month ago, he knew about this. He, he, he probably saw it on the news, you know, you know the, that weekend and stuff. And 
didn't go to the Cowboys and say, hey, I was involved in this thing. It wasn't me, but I just, this thing happened or go to his agent or go to the police or anything like that. Uh, It's truly disturbing the way that this thing is unfolded. And it says a lot about, you know, him maybe wanting to keep this thing a secret, hope it never got out. And it did. And now he's going to have to pay the consequences and might lose his career over it. So maybe had this happened and he's truly innocent and he went about it in a different way off the outset, maybe this whole thing ends up different, but here we are. And I agree with you, John. I I just don't think you can have somebody that's involved in a murder situation on your football team. I just don't think, you know, regardless of, of guilt or innocence, you know, if you're involved in, in that kind of trial, it's going to come up, you're going to have to go into questioning and take time off and all that kind of stuff. It's just not, it's just not worth the headache and you don't need that in your locker room. So you know, wish him the best, but maybe they'll bring him back. But I, I don't think they can go into training camp with, with him around. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Well, we'll see who's going to be around in training camp for him in terms of the new side of things, because we've got Dane Brugler to preview the draft. Who are they going to draft? We are welcomed by the great Dane Brugler now of The Athletic. You can download The Beast. Now I've got mine here. I've been going through it as we're prepping for our live draft coverage next week. Really excited for that, Dane. But welcome in. It's like old times having you here to talk Cowboys draft. Oh heck yeah! This is uh, this is where I belong. Uh, it's, it's just, in a lot of ways how it, how it started. Uh, you know, talking talking draft with the with the Cowboys spin on it. So uh, no, it's great to be on with you guys. Maybe we'll get to some some memories of those old times a little bit later in the show. But we got a lot of stuff to pepper at you. Again, you can download the Beast. Follow along with us. It's uh, on the Athletic and. I believe it's on the front page or at the top bar. Just search for NFL Draft on their NFL Draft Guide. And, uh, I've got my own my own tab on, on the top of the... Yeah, I noticed that. So. They made it easy this year. It's yep. greatness. And again, make sure you have that for draft day. Uh, but John, what you got for Dane? Well, because of some developments off the field, I <laughs> think corner has to be put into play here uh, much earlier in the draft than we were considering maybe a couple weeks ago with Kelvin Joseph's situation. Um, now, of course... It's been reported, his, his lawyer has said that, you know, although he was in the vehicle uh, during this shooting where uh, a person's life was taken, that he was not the shooter. And recently, two people that uh, have been arrested in connection with that, Calvin Joseph on Monday was at Cowboys uh, at, uh, headquarters at the Star. And so obviously, they are, as of right now, planning on going forward with him. But last year at this time, you know, Corner, corner, corner. That's what everybody was talking about. That's what they were going to do in the first round. And so you draft Calvin Joseph in the second round. He had red flags. And then now you have this, and he hasn't even been with the team for a year. So I find it hard to believe that corner hasn't been bumped up. I'm not saying they'll do it at 24. Um, but what, what, are your, what are your thoughts on, on that, Dane, on just the cornerback market and the possibilities of, of what could be there for the Cowboys at 24? And if not at 24, maybe in the second round. Yeah, the uh, corner is going to be interesting because I think there's a lot of teams in the back half of round one that could use one. So we're going to see what Sauce Gardner going to the top, maybe the top three. I mean that that's uh, some, uh, Texans at three are looking hard at him. Um, I, I think he's a lock to go top seven. Um, uh, Derek Stingley is going to go pretty early, and then uh, uh, Trent McDuffie I think will go pretty early too. And then it becomes okay: is there another corner with a first round grade? And that's where the answer to that question will be different from team to team. Um, if they do wait until day two to look at uh, potential corners, I, you know, it's I wouldn't call it a strength or like 
necessarily a, a strong day two crop of, of corners, but th- there's talent there, uh, depending on what you're, what type of corner you're looking for. Um, but I, I, if you're the Cowboys, I think you're, you're hoping you don't have to use another day two pick on a corner. You know, that, that was the direction they went last year. They went with a guy that had off field, you know, red flags, no doubt about it. Um, plenty of, uh, warning, uh, signs there. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens out of this situation. But, uh, I mean, it's, it's corners, not a strength. Uh, I wouldn't say it's one of the stronger positions this year. But I wouldn't call it a weakness either. It's kind of somewhere in the middle where you can find guys on day two, on day three. Uh, but I, I don't know that you're necessarily uh, excited to add another need to uh, you know your draft wish list. Yeah, and see, when I look at – like, so I'm looking at your draft guide right now. And when right. I look at corners outside of the first round, it's like, yeah, there's some guys there that kind of fit. But it's like there's two things that the Cowboys generally seem to look for, at least recently drafting. And it's generally the bigger schools. And when it comes to defensive backs, they want the, they want the longer guys, the 32-inch arms and stuff like that. And so you look at a lot of these guys that are there, like, you know, UTSA, uh, Fayetteville State, you know, uh, you know, a guy like Kobe Bryant. And, and I think you have him as projected as a third round. And he's mm-hmm. 6'1", but, you know, it's a little under 31-inch arms, like, there's just not a lot of like obvious guys that are there that I'm like, yep, that's a Cowboys fit. Because I will say I don't see them spending a, a pick in the first three rounds on on a smaller corner. If they're going to mm-hmm. be spending a, a premium top 100 pick, I think it's going to have to be on a bigger guy. Yeah, and, and I think the first name that came to my mind was Cam Taylor Britt from Nebraska, uh, who maybe I don't know if he fits the size thresholds that they look for uh, at that point, but. You know, he, he's a physical player. He's got speed. Um, you know, he's not small, but I wouldn't call him big either. So, um, but that is a name that came to mind. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you could probably eliminate, and there's a good chance that like my top six corners are off the board by the time the Cowboys pick in the second round. Um, so you're looking, you know, like Roger McCreary, cross him off. I don't think they'd be interested due to his size. Uh, Marcus Jones from Houston, same type of thing. And then the rest of these guys, yeah, a lot of them are group of five or even smaller schools. And so I don't know that there's a a natural uh, guy that you you look at and say, oh yeah, that'd be a, that'd be a perfect fit. So uh, I mean, let me, let me ask you, they, they drafted a corner in the third round last year. Uh, What what are the expectations uh, for him? Uh, Just, you know, is, are they viewing him as a guy that they expect to have a a prominent role uh, in 2023 or 2022? Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good question because you know Nation Wright, you know, fills all those you know the size thing and, and and stuff like that. He's a year in the program. I think it kind of hurt him a little bit last year that they really didn't have any injury issues. You know, they were able to have Trayvon Diggs and Jordan Lewis and Anthony Brown relatively healthy throughout the season to where you really didn't have to bring in somebody else. And when you did, that's when Kelvin Joseph got snapped, so you didn't get to really see a lot of Wright and. <laughs> I'm not comparing. I'm not saying these are the same players, but it's hard for me to think of Wright and and just completely dismiss the idea of Reggie Robinson because it was a lot of the talk about how you know this is a longer guy, it's kind of a project, but you know we see the upside in it, and because you know Reggie Robinson's not even on the team now, you're kind of wondering like you know is is Wright does he fit in there? And I don't know that we'll even know that until we get to training camp. But then again, we will know. Uh, I guess in this draft, if they use a top 100 pick on a corner, they'll tell you exactly what they think of that situation because. They can say what they want about the Calvin Calvin Johnson or Calvin, Calvin Joseph situation. He can be completely uh, cleared of everything. It's still not a good look. It's not a guy that they can honestly sit there and feel like, yeah, no, no, we trust this. This is going to be fine. This is behind us. Like he's no, no, no. He's he's serious now. Like I, I don't know how you can realistically say that. And so, uh, it, but it, but then again, they're not going to reach if they're not going to just force a corner just because they feel like they need one uh, and overlook other positions uh, of value there. A name that I feel like there, if you just go by the mock drafts, it probably won't be there. But despite all of their needs at, at other positions, is George Karloftis a player that if he was there at 24, that he would be the no-brainer pick? Or would there still be other considerations for other players, do you think, from a Cowboys standpoint? I wouldn't call him a no-brainer. Um, it, it's it's weird. I, I, I've... I've talked to several teams that believe he's a second round player. Um, other teams believe he's a first round player. Um, uh, it's just, there's a, a split opinion um, on, on Karloftis and where his appropriate draft grade is. But 
I, I mean, at a certain point, I mean, you just, you know, you, you're not sure where, uh, you know, where is he worth taking if he, if he does slip out of the top 20. Um, and there are several teams that have need at pass rusher in, in the twenties. So, uh, it, it's, I, I would be surprised if he makes it that far just cause, you know, you look at the Eagles, you'll get several other teams that need pass rush help. Um, but uh, it's I, – I'm a, I'm a fan. I mean, I, I, he doesn't have ideal length. He doesn't have ideal twitch. But he's the motor is nonstop. Uh, the way he uses his, his hands. Uh, I, it, there's a lot of selling points with George Karloftis that I think, you know, he would be worth it at that point. I would draft him at 24. I'd feel fine with it. Add him to my rotation. Um, but, you know, it's hard to say where the Cowboys might feel. They might want someone with a little more twitch to his game uh, at, at that edge rush position. One more for me on, on, on pick 24, and that's, you know, in your most recent mock, you had uh, Boston College guard uh, Zion Johnson going to him. And I know he has a lot of position flex. You hear Stephen Jones on the radio today and, and on 105 through the fan, and he's talking about how they really value that with their offensive linemen. And another guy that could potentially be there that might be able to fill a sim- similar role if Zion Johnson is in there would be Kenyon Green mm-hmm. from Texas A&M. And then the other guy in, on the interior of the offensive line that, Cowboys fans, at least on Twitter, seem to love is the Iowa center, Tyler Linderbaum. Out of those three players, who do you think makes the most sense for the Cowboys? And I guess in giving your answer, is there any chance Linderbaum can play anything other than center or is he only a center in the NFL level? I think he's a center only. Um, And it's that lack of length that you worry about. Um, Sub 32 inch arms. That's I, I know a lot of people roll their eyes when we talk about hand size and arm length and all that, but I mean, it's just, it's kind of, it's just math. I mean, you, you, as a center, you line up against a defensive tackle and nose tackle with 35 inch arms, you're at an immediate disadvantage. And I, I think that's, um, it, it's something that you do worry about. Now I'm, I'm a big Tyler Linderbaum fan. Uh, I think he has a chance to be an elite level run blocker in the NFL pass pro. That's where there are some issues. And uh, it, realistically might knock Tyler Linderbaum into the second round, uh, which is kind of crazy to think about, but uh, it's a realistic possibility. Um, Now, but I I think between those three players, it comes down with one of the two guards. And I I think that I don't, I I haven't rated fairly closely. I I mean, I I prefer Zion Johnson, but I could understand why someone would prefer uh, Kenyon Green. I I think the versatility, they both offer versatility. Zion showed that at, at the senior bowl playing center. Um, uh, with Kenyon Green, I and mean, he started at four different positions last year at AM. and uh, He was the only returning starter on that Aggies offensive line, and, and they asked a lot of him. Um, and, and I thought he answered in a, in a big way. Love the balance that he plays with. Uh, you know, with Zion, I, I don't know how you come away talking with him and just not extremely impressed. Uh, he is so bright, so smart. Um, he understands what the entire offensive line needs to be doing. Uh, he, the play strengths above average, uh, he moves well, he tested uh, above average in all the, the testing drills. So I, I think with, if, uh, if it comes down to one of those two guards, I mean, I think you're getting a good player regardless. I prefer Zion Johnson, but I can understand why someone w- might make the case for, for, uh, for Kenyon green, uh, a little bit younger, um, you know, maybe, maybe a little more upside. Um, but still both these guys are, are good players and, and they're plug and play left guards. So with these receivers, assuming the other two starters are C.D. Lamb and Michael Gallup, uh, with Chris Olave and Traylon Burks, which one of those would you pick and why? Um, yeah, no, I think that's that's a fair question because, uh, you know, you, you're, it's not receivers so different from, uh, you know, they're all lumped in the same category. They're all, they're all pass catchers. But there is a difference in terms of what the, each one of them brings to the field. And you ideally want these guys to complement each other. Uh, you know, get, you want your X, you want your Y, you want your Z. And uh, I, I think that you could really make a case for, for either of these two guys with Olave and Burks. Burks is a little more uh, of a guy that you need to bring along because he has X traits, but he played mostly in the slot at, at Arkansas where, you know, they would basically, they knew he was the best player on the field and they just wanted to get him the football any way they could, uh, which, you know, I certainly understand, but how is he going to do against press? How is he going to do, uh, you know, when he's running, uh, needs to expand his route tree on the outside. There's a lot of questions with Burks. I think he can do it. Uh, and, and you love the size. He's 6'2", 225. He has, uh, you know, good speed. I know he only ran a four five five at the combine, but Show me the tape where he gets caught from behind uh, in the SEC last year. Um, uh, it just it, it doesn't happen. 
And but with Olave, uh, you know, you've got he's a little bit different in that respect because he's NFL ready. He is a detailed player. You love the polish that he has uh, as a route runner, as a, in his releases at the catch point. He has the the vertical speed where he can uh, win over the top of the defense. My biggest issue with Olave is just the the lack of physicality. Uh, he doesn't have that type of body type. Um, you know, he doesn't give you a ton of yak. Uh, the the run after the catch, he's not going to break tackles. So, uh, you know, he's a, he's a, Chris Olave is a, a good player, but I, I think that if you're looking for more of a, a yak player, uh, that's going to create those plays, that's where, uh, you know, he, he, I think he falls a little bit short. So I think you can make a case for both these players. I think I would lean Olave just because, uh, you know, the, he complements the offense well. I think he's, uh, you know, ready to go right away, right out of the packaging. You know what you're getting, uh, with Chris Olave. So, but I, I can understand the case for either one of those uh, two receivers. Along the receivers, though, Dane, do you see like with Jameson Williams, you know, obviously with him coming off the injury, um, him possibly falling to the Cowboys? And, and with that, I mean, I know they already have Gallup coming off of an injury as well, but it feels like that's a guy with, you know, that's more of a, uh, with his speed and, and the route running ability that he has, that kind of what you're losing with Amari, you can kind of replace there. And uh, and give flexibility to CD Lamb c- to kind of play wherever in the offense that he feels best. Uh, it, it, I mean, I I just I have a hard time seeing it just because uh, I mean Jamison Williams is uh, he's got special special speed. Even coming off the ACL injury, um, he is, is a game breaker and it is more than just a, like a, he's more than a track guy out there. Um, I mean, he has. Uh, the type of speed that really forces defense to change what they're doing out there. Um, I mean, he uh, he understands how to set up defensive backs. He understands how to leverage coverage. Uh, he can snap off these ninety degree angles uh, it, or uh, ninety degree cuts in his uh, in his routes uh, without losing that momentum, without sacrificing any speed. There's so much to like about uh, uh, Jamison Williams, and that's why even though he is working his way back from the knee injury, as long as the trainers give you two thumbs up and say, hey, yeah, the knee's progressing well, he'll, he's going to be back, I, I just don't see him dropping out of the top 20. It just He's too talented. Um, and, and, you know, we saw a guy like, you know, as talented as last year's draft was, uh, you know, for, in, especially in the top 15 picks, the Dolphins traded up for a guy like Jalen Waddle, and you know Jamison Williams. I think has uh, the same, if not better, speed. He's got uh, probably more uh, big playability, which and Jalen Waddle is a, a really good player. Um, but if not for the injury, we'd be talking about Jamison Williams as uh, as a top ten lock. Um, so he's just uh, I, there's too much talent there. I think for him to fall too far uh, to even be in really consideration for the Cowboys. All right, with that second round pick 56 there, you know, uh, we had talked about, you know, what they could be interested in there. Edge rusher um, could be wide receiver if they don't get one in the first round, could be an offensive lineman if they don't get one in the first round. Uh, out of out of those edge rushers there, which it just seems like they could possibly be all over the map depending on the team. Um, I guess just I'll throw out some names and just tell me what you like about, you know, Sam Williams. I think uh, I think it's Josh Pascal. Um, that you, that we had mentioned before, uh, Drake Jackson and Kingsley and Igbare. Uh Do you think that all four of them have a chance to be there in the second round? Is that too early? Is that too late? Would that make sense there? Yeah, the pass rusher is by far the the, the best position this year. Not even close. Um, and you know, it's uh, when you say best position, it's you know you could break it up by you know the most blue chippers, the most starters, the most uh, you know the deepest. Edge rusher in every single category is the best position this year. So I think it'll be interesting to see how many go in the first, uh, you know, 50 picks uh, in front of the Cowboys. Uh, uh, we're going to see plenty go in the first round. We're going to see uh, it's not going to slow down in the second round. So who's going to be left for them? Um, Sam Williams uh, is, you know, they, if they're looking for someone with juice off the edge, he certainly has it. I mean, he explodes out of his stance. He's got that burst. He's a little straight line-ish. Uh, you know, he, he's more of a linear guy. Uh, but, uh, you know, even though he has a, just a little bit of stiffness, uh, that initial burst to get upfield and, and challenge the corner on every single rep, that's something that uh, is going to really appeal to, to Dan Quinn uh, in that scheme. So uh, I, I, there's some baggage there. Uh, you know, we know this team's not afraid of any of the baggage. 
Um, but it's something they need to do their due diligence on just to make sure they're comfortable with it. And if they are, uh, if it's just about football, then I can understand the pick uh, in the second round, no doubt. I think that would make some sense for them. It's actually where I went with my mock draft was uh, Sam Williams in the second round uh, to the Cowboys. Um, Josh Pascal, I'm a big fan of his. Uh, he's, it, it's funny, you could line up, it, it played this game on, um, you know, my podcast with Lance Zerline, uh, you know, last week or the week before where we talked about maybe some day two values. You know, if you don't get your, uh, guy in the first round, who's someone in the second round, that's very similar. And if you don't get George Karloffis in the first, Josh Pascal, um, you know, you line up all the, the testing numbers, the size, uh, the production, it matches up pretty well. Uh, Pascal is one of the best run defenders uh, in, in this draft class at the edge position. Uh, there, there's a lot that he has going for him. Characters off the charts. Uh, he overcame cancer earlier in his uh, Kentucky career. So Josh Pascal, I, I think, could, could could be long gone because of uh, all those things I just uh, just said about him. Um, Drake Jackson, I, I like as well. Uh, he He's probably my highest graded of these four guys that you mentioned. Uh, he's a top 10 edge rusher for me. Uh, and it's, I thought it was interesting. At the combine, he weighed 254 pounds. At his pro day, a couple uh, a couple weeks later, 273, so almost 20 pounds more at, at at his pro day, which tells me that hey, scouts told him you need to put on weight. You need to be, you know, we want to see more power in your game. Um, and, and so if he's able to do that without sacrificing athleticism, Drake, Drake Jackson's going to be uh, going to be a problem for blockers. So I, I like him quite a bit. If he were still on the board, Drake Jackson would probably be my pick of all these, all these guys, but again, uh, Kingsley Anikbari too. He, he's kind of more of the, uh, uh, he, he he's more of a power guy, but you know, he just doesn't have that, that initial burst. Uh, he's going to win with his hands. He's going to win with, uh, heaviness at contact, uh, go through you, be a strong run defender. So, you know, I like him, but if they're, I think they're looking for more juice off the edge. So I think, uh, you know, Drake Jackson, Sam Williams, uh, I think those two guys would make plenty of sense for the Cowboys. I never thought we'd be talking to you about kickers, Dane, but here we are. <laughs> I remember a time where you didn't even evaluate them. There must be too much talent this year. You've got a kicker going to the Cowboys in the fifth round, Cade York out of LSU. You think there's a chance they're going to spend a pick on one this year? I mean, you guys tell me. It certainly feels that way, right? I mean, it, yeah. it feels like there's a, a decent chance that that could happen. Um, and I, I, everyone's kind of looking for that next Evan McPherson, right? You know, the, the Bengals took in, what, the sixth round last year? Fifth or sixth round and was a was a weapon for them uh, all the way to the Super Bowl. Um, and, and so this year, is there an Evan McPherson? I, I don't I don't think so. I wouldn't say that. But there's going to be uh, two, maybe three kickers drafted. And Cade York, I think, has is the highest graded, uh, according to some teams, not every team. Um, but he made plenty of clutch kicks. He's got a good leg. Uh, th- there's a lot of things that just kind of check the box with Cade York. Uh, so I, I think that if... You know, how, how many fifth round picks the Cowboys have? Four. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you use one of those fifth round picks on a guy like Cade York. Maybe he's the first kicker off the board. Uh, that would not be a surprising development at all. I would actually be really excited about that. That would get me get me pretty juiced, actually. What you got, John? I was going to say about offensive tackle, since you, you mentioned all those fifth round picks they have. Um you know, last year they take Josh Ball out of Marshall, red flags off the field. Um, is there any offensive tackles in may- maybe the middle of this draft, let's say, you know, third, fourth, fifth round, that uh, you think could be a decent little piece that maybe, yeah, and this isn't going to be a guy that starts right away, but there is that potential upside that maybe this guy can be what they think Josh Ball can be, if not better. Uh, but again, not like a premium pick, but somebody that might be a little bit of a project. Do you want me to find another character guy for you? That's uh, there's some red flags. Yeah, or? they like that. That apparently bump yeah. those up in their board. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, hey, I'm, I'm trying to find. <laughs> I'm trying to find Tyron Smith's replacement without having to use a first round pick. Is that is that possible in Dallas? I don't know, but right. uh, you know, it seems like McCarthy and when he was with the Packers, they were able to find some guys in the fourth and fifth round that ended up being, of course, not Tyron Smith, but you know, some solid starters. Yeah, and I think once you get to the fourth round, I mean, there's two guys that immediately stand out as, uh, you know, probably going to be day three picks, but guys that you could see uh, developing into into starters. Uh, Braxton Jones out of Southern Utah, 6'5", 3'10", uh, over 35-inch arms. Uh, so that's, that's a good place to start. Uh, it, it also helps that he tested well. 
Um, he, you throw on the San Jose State tape, and you're you're liking what you see. Uh, you know, he's got that projectable frame. He moves well. Um, then you throw on the Arizona State tape, and he's got some he's got some things he needs to clean up. Uh, it, you worry about some of the timing issues, some of the fundamental issues. Uh, you know that he just he's going to need time. He's going to need to coaching. But if you're looking for someone to develop, I think Braxton Jones fits that. Uh, Spencer Burfer from UTSA, six uh, four, over three hundred pounds. Another guy that's got you know good length. Um, really like him in pass pro. Uh, he the way he can reset on the move. Uh, you rarely see him beat to the corner. Uh, where he needs to get better is in the run game, where uh, you know just power at contact, being able to to win the point of attack, win with his angles. Um, so I, I think with Burford, you're getting the better, more proven pass protector, but needs help in the run game with Braxton Jones. I think you're getting more upside about what he could be, but it's just going to take a, a little bit of patience until he gets there. Yeah. The third round just seems like, again, this is going off mock drafts. Who knows how it's going to unfold, right. but the third round just really seems like kind of that sweet spot for the Cowboys to address tight end. They obviously right. have an interest in it. Uh, you know, looking at, your list of tight ends going off of mock drafts. It seems like they'll have a choice of, and then also looking at guys that they've brought in on their 30 visits like Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio state. It seems like that could be a spot where they address that position. Uh, who, who, who kind of jumps out, like, you know, maybe knock off your top guy or two, but maybe some guys that you think could potentially be there uh, in the third round that kind of fit. Uh, maybe not necessarily getting Dalton Schultz part two, maybe that is what it is, but just a, getting another tight end that maybe uh, can, you know, evolve into being a, a solid starter for them. I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, th- third round, that's probably the sweet spot. I mean, you're looking third, fourth round, that, that's where you're looking at some of these tight ends. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see which tight ends are off the board by the time uh, the Cowboys pick there in the third round. Um, it, it's, you know, who, how many, one, two, do we see three tight ends off the board at that point? Um, I, the guy that I really like, uh, Jeremy Ruckert from Ohio State, a uh, big fan of his, um, I think he's kind of been out of sight, out of mind a little bit because he hurt his foot at the Senior Bowl. And so uh, not only did he miss the final few days uh, down there in Mobile, but was sidelined for the Combine, sidelined for the Pro Day. And so, um, you know, I, because of that, I, I think that we're, you know, we're not talking as much about Jeremy Ruckert, but we should be because he has NFL starting potential, no doubt. Uh, he's over 6'5", he's you know, 250 pounds. Uh, was not a big part of that Ohio State offense as a pass catcher, uh, but you spend two minutes watching that that offense and you see those receivers, you can understand why. But he's played a ton of snaps, uh, you know, used as a blocker. Uh, when he was targeted, good things usually happened. Uh, he has really soft hands. Uh, he catches the ball really well. Great focus. He's actually a, a big time soccer player growing up, and he credits his. Uh, he was a goalie. Credits his time as a goalie as kind of developing his hand-eye coordination and and his hands, and so uh, that's something you really see with him. Uh, he's developing as a blocker. Uh, can be that pass catcher. Doesn't matter. If, you know, we're talking over the middle of the field, down the seam. Uh, Jeremy Ruckert is going to be a better pro than he was in college. Uh, in my mock draft, I actually had the Cowboys take in Jelani Woods from Virginia, uh, former high school quarterback, six seven, two fifty, uh, a guy that at this time last year was a late round pick, uh, transfers from Oklahoma State to Virginia, has a really good senior year, goes to the Shrine game and knocks it out of the park there, goes to the combine and uh, at 250 pounds, runs a four, low four sixes, uh, outstanding time. Uh, it, it continued at the pro day, sub seven seconds in the three cone. So I, there, there's a lot to like about Jelani Woods, uh, the athlete, the way he moves, uh, the type of pass catcher that he is. So, uh, I mean, Jelani Woods, if he's still available in the third round, uh, him and Jeremy Rucker, I think that'd be option A and option B, whichever order you have them. Uh, and I think either one would be a, a home run of a pick in the third round. Real quick on Rucker, uh, when Lance does his write-ups for the NFL.com, mm-hmm. uh, he does, like, for a lot of them, he'll do, like, an NFL player comparison. And for Rucker, he, he has Dalton Schultz. And so because of that, I, I wanted to ask you um, – because when I think of when you when you're talking about Ruckert, I think of I'm not watching Dalton Schultz. I'm sorry when he's at Stanford. I'm just not. And so yeah. when I remember watching his highlights after they drafted him, and I'm like, this guy is yeah, he's a blocker. You know, uh, he's not really going to probably do much for you in the passing game. And that's been the exact opposite of what he's been as a pro. How, has he surprised you? Just kind of what it, what have you thought of Dalton Schultz comparatively to what he was when he was coming out in the draft? Like, is it surprised you or 
the reason I'm asking this is because there was always these times when we would talk to Jason Garrett, you know, a lot of times off the record, but we'd just be talking about different positions. He would talk about how hard it is to find like the really well-rounded tight ends because mm-hmm. there's just not as many of those that block and do everything in, in a college game. So, you know, it, it is, is, is Schultz surprise you? And, and does that kind of, do you, does that kind of make you think that maybe there are guys in the third, fourth, fifth round that can be productive starters? Obviously a guy like him that's getting a franchise tag now. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think when you watched him at Stanford, it wasn't a guy that you necessarily got excited about. Uh, you know, it, it was hard to watch his film and, and get, you know, just really uh, excited about what he was going to be at the next level because you, you saw a guy that could be an all around tight end, uh, you know, a, a guy that maybe wasn't going to jump off the page uh, in terms of the, the measurables and, and the stats and things like that, but just a really all around good player. Um, and so I, I think he has surprised a little bit with, uh, you know, the way he's developed as a pass catcher and just, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know that he deserves the word dynamic, but he's, you know, he, he's definitely been a guy that can, uh, you know, help you on offense, help you move the chains, be a guy that defenses have to account for. So, uh, yeah, I mean, but we're in what this, he just finished year four in the NFL. So, uh, you know, it's something that it, it took a little bit of time getting out of that Stanford scheme, uh, the way he was used um, and, you know, for him to develop as a pass catcher. And I mean, you look up and down the NFL, um, you know, a lot of non first round tight ends, uh, you know, a lot of the best tight ends, you know, George Kittle to, to you know, Travis Kelsey, uh, you know, Zach Ertz, uh, you know, Dallas Goddard. A lot of these guys were not taken uh, in the top 32, top 50. Um, so this year, it's not going to be any different. We were, I, I would be very surprised if we have a tight end drafted top 50 this year. But at late second, third round, fourth round, there are a lot of quality options, guys that you could see developing into uh, impact type of players, uh, starters. Um, and so this is just a, it's a really good tight end year in terms of depth in those middle rounds. Yeah, and I think also with Dalton Schultz, a big thing that helped was just the opportunity, right? Like as Blake Jarwin went down, and then it, Dalton Schultz was kind of just thrust into that role. And I think that like before before Jarwin's injury, Jarwin was supposed to be that guy. Kind of everything that Schultz was, a lot of what Schultz kind of had to shoulder after after the injury. But um, some of that just came upon came upon him because it was a mid season type thing. Yeah, exactly. And so uh, you know, who knows? Um, Obviously, with Dalton Schultz on the franchise tag, you're expecting him to be the guy uh, uh, next season. But uh, say he has another, uh, you know, he builds off of this past year and has another big year. Are they going to want to sign him to an extension? Uh, you're probably not going to franchise him again. And, but that's why you're drafting a tight end now. So going into year two, uh, that tight end's probably ready to take over and have the opportunity to kind of run with it. So, we'll, you know, we'll see if they'll be able to do that. If they, if they do end up taking a tight end early, or, you know, the first three or four rounds, and then, uh, you know, what that means moving forward for that position in this team. When uh, I got that list of their 30 visitors, the name that jumped out to me the most was Jordan Davis, the defensive tackle from Mm -hmm. Georgia. And it's not because of the player, just because of the Cowboys not drafting defensive tackles in the first round. So when uh, you see a guy like Jordan Davis being one of their visits, I mean, that obviously means that they would have interest at 24 how how would he fit? Um, a wide door. Um, I you know he, he's. I mean, because you're right. I mean, this team is not. Uh, they don't believe in drafting nose tackles, uh, defensive tackles, but especially nose tackles in the first round. They just don't see the value. Jordan Davis, um, you know, is very unique. Uh, you know, one of the best. You know, if we're, if we're going to say pound for pound, uh, probably the best athlete in this draft, uh, just, you know, for a guy 340 pounds to move like that. Um, but they, they must have a high grade on him. If they're going to bring him in uh, for a visit, I mean, you're not wasting a visit just to waste a visit, uh, you know. And so it's it's a really curious uh, decision that they decided to do that because I, I don't think that he makes it. To, I don't think there's any chance he makes it to 24, not to mention that it's a – you know, it's a player that uh, is, is not, you're, you're not thinking that it's a position they're going to address that early. So it's, it was a really curious uh, name to see on that list. I, I agree. I, and I'm, I'm not a, I'm not as high on Jordan Davis as others. I just think that once his snap count goes up in the NFL, I mean, he averaged 25 snaps a game last year at Georgia. So he was, he was able to stay fresh. Uh, you know, uh, his uh, impact was, was felt 
because of that low snap count. If you're asking him to play 40 snaps a game, is he still going to be able to play at that high level? I, I have my concerns. I have my doubts. Um, but even with those doubts, I still think he's going somewhere in the top 20 picks. I, I, my, my mock draft had him going to the Eagles at 15. Um, so saying it, you know, going to the NFC East, uh, just not the Cowboys. And then one other guy that was on there is Devin Lloyd. And I know yeah. that he's a, he's a player that you obviously like at linebacker. If the Cowboys were to somehow, whether he fell to 24, moved up, and let's say they just were in love with Devin Lloyd, to me, that would signal, uh, you know, some even more pass rushing from Micah Parsons. Uh, but to you, how do you think that those two would fit together? And, you know, I, I just, to me, it's kind of like, it goes to the Jordan Davis question because it would just be so, like, not typically how the Cowboys build a defense, but just kind of how, how dynamic do you think the defense could be with a Devin Lloyd and a Micah Parsons? And are they two similar guys or could they play well together, do you think? Yeah, I mean, they're, uh, they are similar in ways. I, I, I've kind of used an example before that, um, you know, people or other teams have seen the way, that Micah Parsons was used uh, in Dallas and they want to replicate that. And Devin Lloyd is the type of guy that you, you could do that. Uh, now is Devin Lloyd on the same level as Micah Parsons? No, I don't want to compare him that way and say, um, you know, it have a similar type of impact, but Devin Lloyd, what you love about him is he's a true four down player and you want him to drop in coverage. Okay. He's a, a former high school safety. Uh, he had double digit passes defended last year. You want him to play the run. Uh, he can do that. He has the range to play sideline to sideline. He has the explosiveness downhill. He had 22 tackles for loss uh, last year, so he can play uh, on the other side of the line of scrimmage. Uh, he can do everything. And, and I think that in a lot of ways, that's what Micah Parsons does. And so, uh, you know, on one hand, you're looking at it like, okay, we kind of already have that role filled. But on the other hand, the fact that you have like two of these guys doing that, where you just don't know what you're going to do on any given snap with, with either of these guys, that, that's pretty intriguing. So, uh, Devin Lloyd's interesting. He was a hard guy to peg in the mock. Uh, just, you know, he's an off ball linebacker. Not every team's excited about drafting off ball linebackers in the first round. I ended up having him go to Baltimore at 14, but if he were to fall a little bit, uh, I think maybe new England at 21, they'd be interested. I, it's not impossible for him to, to be there at 24. You know, it's certainly something that's in a, a realistic, uh, has realistic possibilities. And if he were to fall that far, he'd at least, uh, you know, there'd be a conversation. I'd be surprised if they went linebacker there, but it'd still be a conversation this team would have to have. What about running back, Dane? You got one going to them in the fifth round. Is there maybe a quote-unquote bell cow running back that they could target late and develop? Yeah, and, and I think that you know you you're always looking to add fresh legs uh, to your running back uh, committee. Um, you know, and it, depending on what you're looking for, uh, this this is draft that has running backs uh, going to be littered throughout day three. I mean, mm. we're going to see a ton of these guys come off the board. Uh, we'll, we'll see a few in the second round. We'll see a few in the third round. But day three, fourth, fifth, sixth round, these guys are going to be uh, flying off the board. And there's all different types of, of runners. They don't have to take take one early if they want to use one of those fifth rounders on one. They could, uh, you know, a couple of guys uh, with, with Texas ties like Keontae Ingram from USC, uh, who, you know, was at Texas and then uh, went on to USC uh, or transferred to USC this past year. Uh, I think that would fit Hassan Haskins from Michigan. Uh, Snoop Connor from Ole Miss, Tyron Davis Price, LSU. So I think all those guys are more downhill runners, guys that bring a little bit of power, a little bit of physicality, uh, you know, with the way they run behind their pads. Um, so I, if they're looking for kind of a bell cow guy that's going to give you a little bit of punishment at contact, uh, this draft has that. And, and you don't have to draft them early. You can, we can wait till the, the fifth or sixth round, still pretty, still feel pretty good about the uh, running back you're going to get at that point. Dane, this beast is truly unbelievable. It's a piece of work every single year. I'm absolutely blown away. Uh, before we get you out of here, I wanted to to ask you a little bit about, about putting it together. We know you're really crunched for time here in the last few weeks before you get this thing out, but take me through the average day of Dane Brewer in like November when you're working. Like what is, you know, you wake up, are you working on it way back then? Are you typing this thing out or is it all research back then? And then you type it out the last two months. How does that work? 
Yeah, how much do your children help you with it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, they, uh, it's, and this year especially was challenging because, you know, we had newborn twins last summer. And so, uh, you know, they, they were home for a good part of the fall with my wife who was on maternity leave and, uh, you know, trying to work in the same house with, uh, you know, screaming twins, uh, and not, you know, uh, getting up to help or, you know, trying stuff like that. It, it, it was a little bit of a challenge, no doubt. Um, but, uh, it, it's, I, I don't know. I wake up every day with just this, um, uh, th- th- with this idea that, okay, today I'm excited about the, the next player I can find, you know, like I, I'm excited to, mm-hmm. to watch this, this player's tape to see, to see what he, what he gives me. Um, I, I just, I don't know. I wake up every day, really, really excited for that. And so, uh, you know, just, you know, briefly throughout my year, uh, summer is when we set the foundation. That's when we kind of, you know, get my rankings in order, uh, you know, look at all these seniors, some of the key underclassmen. And then during the season, like in November, it's, you know, we're, we're watching the tape and trying to, you know, update the rankings, figure out, uh, you know, who these guys are, uh, you know, get all the, my notes in. So, you know, most of the hay's in the barn at that point, you know, by the time we get to January, most of the work's been done. All the, all the yeah. notes, all the tape watching, uh, and then once we get to January, once we're starting done. to watch it, you're already done. So basically, pretty much, yeah, yeah basically. <laughs> it, I mean, once we get to January and then it's All Star season, that's when you you tweak things. You know, it, the combine, you tweak things, um, and, and then in May, March, I mean, the month of March just doesn't happen for me. Uh, basically, it's uh, uh, I'm basically locked in my office the entire month, trying just finishing up. You know, I, I've got a lot of raw notes on players that I try to you know, polish and, and, and make and do coherent, uh, you know, scouting reports. And then a lot of it too is, uh, finishing in or filling in some of the, some of the holes in the background, you know, like I, I, sometimes I need to check myself and say like, okay, if you don't, if you don't find out exactly how many siblings this seventh round running back has, it's okay. Like you don't have to beat yourself up about it. Um, and and trust me, I I had to tell myself that many times, uh, in the month of March, uh, just, uh, you know, just get this thing out there. You, you've done enough. You, you found out a second grade, second grade teacher name. So I think that's enough. Um, it, it, it's, uh, it's a labor of love. Yeah. It's something that I put a lot of work in and uh, hopefully that shows with, uh, you know, the final product. The- All right. Hold on. I got more. I got one more. Hold on. Yeah. All right. So in your entire time doing this, so I love how Brian brought us and, and this is just mainly probably for me because <laughs> growing up in Detroit, but Brian will always say the guy that he's most wrong on <laughs> was Joey Harrington. Okay. And right. so, Give me a guy that you were the most wrong on and then give me a guy that is kind of like maybe like you're like Julian Edelman type guy or somebody like that that you always kind of thought had a chance and as produced in the NFL and maybe there weren't as many people on him as, as you were that, that you really liked a lot that, you know, has, has ended up being a really productive player. Um, I think the guy that I got wrong is easy because uh, that, that Pat Mahomes. Um, I was very... Just not sure how that that Texas Tech backyard style that he played with, how that was going to translate. You know, I think there were. It's not that he couldn't do it. It's just that you th- there was a, a big projection there in terms of okay, was he going to be able to get there? Uh, you know, reading the defense and things like. I mean, this is where, just to be completely honest, where those of us on the outside are at a disadvantage, especially with quarterbacks, is just understanding their mental process, understanding. Uh, exactly what they're seeing out there. And Pat Mahomes was definitely uh, a learning experience for me. Uh, and I mean, I liked him, but I by no means thought, you know, he was going to be what he turned out to be and, you know, worthy of a top 10 pick like like it turned out to be. So um, that definitely the guy probably got the most wrong. Um, I, I I feel good about a lot of my hits. Um, my best one... I, Maybe Antonio Brown. Uh, I loved him out of Central Michigan uh, when he was coming out. I, I I thought, you know, just whenever I watched uh, you know Central Michigan play, Antonio Brown was always a guy that stood out. I the that year in the draft guide, I gave him um, is a top one hundred grade, second or third round, something like that. Uh, and he didn't go into the fifth. Um, you know, he didn't run really well at the combine, and, and so it was kind of curious. Just the testing numbers didn't match up with the, the what you saw on film. But uh, he's one of those guys where I thought, you know, just trust the tape. This, this guy is for real. Um, and, you know, I, a little bit of the craziness aside, uh, I think I got with that one right. <laughs> one that comes to mind for me that you guys were on early, and I remember brought us throwing this tape on and all of us just crowding around like, oh, my God, who is this guy? Cooper Cup. 
from mm-hmm. Eastern Washington. We were just like, oh my God, this guy is is dynamic. And whoever gets this guy, you know, he's probably going to get drafted late. But whoever gets him is gonna gonna really enjoy him. And yeah, but see, uh, I'm again. This is this is Lions fan talking over here. But <laughs> but but all the situations that every one of the ones that we just talked about, all three of those guys, Antonio Brown, Patrick Mahomes, and Cooper Cup. I, th- I believe the situation uh, plays a factor too. Oh, so, I don't yeah. believe that every single one of those guys necessarily reaches their ceiling. I'm not saying they wouldn't be good NFL players. I don't know that they reach their ceiling that they that they ended up reaching, and some of them still haven't reached yet because Cooper Cup, who knows, maybe he gets even better. But I just feel like the situation matters too. Yeah. Oh, and, and trust me, I do a lot of like fantasy based, uh, fantasy football based. Uh, you know, like uh, uh, media appearances this time of year. And it's it's hard to do it because so much depends on where these guys land. You know, like I can't tell you who's going to be the top producing rookie running back uh, in fantasy next year uh, without knowing uh, you know, where they're going to end up. You know, the talent's one thing, but the situation absolutely 100% matters. Um, and that's why a lot of these guys, you know, like my favorite players in each draft, I kind of, I secretly just kind of hope they land in a good spot where they're getting good coaching. You know, they're going to uh, a situation where they understand, uh, you know, where, what his strengths are, where he needs to get better. Um, and, and a lot of guys, they they go to a, a, a bad situation where they're just another name uh, on, on the roster and the coaches don't really uh, develop them. I mean, it's because some, some teams, they expect guys to be developed already. And, and that, that's fair. The NFL is not a developmental league. But a lot of rookies just they need a little bit more coaching, and uh, you know it's not every opportunity uh, in the NFL gives them what they need. Yeah, I think one that comes to mind for me with that with the fancy one with was Clyde Edwards-Helaire. It's like as soon as he went to Kansas City, you just you just knew that that was going to be a really good situation for him, and he was gonna he was gonna be able to pop off. Um, but Dane, one that I had for you, one uh, question that I had for you is how did you feel about Josh Allen coming out? Just because. I remember his accuracy issues in, in mm-hmm. college. And when you have accuracy issues in college, that it, it doesn't always, it doesn't usually get better when the windows get tighter and the, and the defenses are better. How did you feel about him coming out? Uh, I mean, that would definitely be an L for me as well. Um, Cause I, I, I had a first round grade on him, but I didn't, I did not have him as a top 10 pick and I did not see what he's grown into um, I, because you did. Worry yeah, that was about, my biggest L by the way. Yeah. Well, no. And it based off, if you're going based off the tape, uh, it, it, like I, I, there were some, some people that really went, I thought overboard with always, oh, you know, fourth round at best. And, you know, like he got beat up pretty good in the media I didn't go that far. I still thought he was a first round player. Um, and, but I, I did not see, would I have taken him at seven overall? Like the bills did? No, probably not. Um, you know, just because I I thought there was so much projection there that it was, it it was a risk and, and and Josh Allen to his credit has Mm -hmm. absolutely, uh, you know, smashed all of those, uh, all those doubts and really developed, uh, in a nice way. And I think, you know, for me, the biggest thing of this process is learning from all because uh, I've, I've learned over the years not to get upset uh, or, you know, too upset because you, when, you, when you get a guy wrong, because you're going to get guys wrong. It, it's inevitable. I mean, I ranked, what, 1,700 players in the draft guide this year. Like, I'm not re- going to sit there and expect to be right on uh, 1,700 players. It's just not realistic. Um, but I, I do think the key thing for me is to learn from every single one. Uh, you know, what did I miss? What can I do better next time from this example? And a guy like Josh Allen, uh, I, I thought it was interesting how, um, you know, this is a guy that didn't grow up going to quarterback camps. Uh, he did not grow up with a, a personal trainer t- teaching him how to release the football. Uh, I mean, everything that he did in high school and Juco and college I mean, basically, it's just on his own and with, you know, with his with his with his football coach. Um, so I think once he got a little more specialized training, uh, you know what that could unlock for him and for a guy that size with that athleticism, with that arm. And that's, you know, that's really what happened. Uh, and the biggest thing with quarterbacks, too, is just the intangibles. You have to be a really confident guy. You have to have, a you know, just this firm belief in your abilities. Uh, a lot of guys would uh you know they they would fall apart with 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 some of the scrutiny these quarterbacks uh, find themselves in, and 
you know, Josh Allen's a guy that can overcome that. So that's, that's, that's another part of the process uh, that is not always easy. I mean, we've seen, you know, Carson Wentz, I, he struggles with the outside noise a lot. It feels like where, you know, I, and it, I, I don't blame him. I mean, he's human. It, it, it could be easy to do that, but to be a quarterback in the NFL, you have to kind of rise above it and just not everybody's built that way. And it's not always easy to tell pre-draft who's built that way and who's not. Ah, it's a tr- tradition that comes around every year. Dane Brugler and the Cowboys draft. Man, we've been doing this for so long. I'm trying to think of the first time Ed Cahill had you guest on us with the draft show. We got this whole crazy thing started. Uh, last thing for you here. 2013, I believe. Yeah, so I'm trying I to remember. I think it was 1991. What, what show broke was down Russell, like, Maryland. What, I was you guys six were talking years about. old. 2013 yeah. sounds right. Yeah, about the Travis Frederick draft. Um yeah. What's a memory from just the live draft experiences that we've had over the years that comes to mind? Like when you think of covering the Cowboys draft live, what comes to mind is just a crazy uh, moment for you. There's been a lot for me, but. Oh yeah, there's been so many. I mean, and most of them involve, I think all of them involve Brian, uh, (laughs) obviously, Um, you know, cause he, he takes it so seriously and that's what I love about him. Um, you know, it's it, the, the draft is what I do for a living. And so Brian, Brian taking as seriously as he, as he does, you know, just, it warms my heart. Um, and, and, you know, so it's really fun, uh, doing that kind of stuff with him and with, you know, as when David came on, uh, Hellman and then, um, you know, Kent, when you got involved and then, uh, with, uh, you know, Jeff and KT and, you know, all the different mm-hmm. faces that have, you know, been part of the, the draft and all that has been, it's been a lot of fun. Um, you know, I just uh, definitely remember, remember it fondly, uh, for, uh, you know, all the fun we had. I think, you know, the Xavier Woods, that, that one stands out, uh, for the way, you know, you know, we, we kind of pushed for it, uh, and you kind of spoke it into existence. You have Joe Baker in the room. You're like, all right, yep. now go up and draft Xavier Woods. And then they did and the next, the next round they <laughs> yeah, did. So that was, that, funny. Yeah. That, that was a lot of fun. I remember Jeff freaking out when Michael Gallup got picked and threw a pizza mm-hmm. party. That's right. Yeah. That was a good one. The Ezekiel Elliott pick certainly freaked everybody out. I remember Jalen Smith just silence in the room. That from was Brian. He just didn't that talk was... for like three minutes straight. <laughs> it was, yeah. uh, that was fun. But... That was back when we had that little hole in the, at the Valley Ranch. Yeah. Well, Robert Mays got thrown by surprise last year when the Bears straight up for Justin Fields. He couldn't, right. he couldn't decide if he wanted to be the fan or the host. So <laughs> we'll have some crazy stuff go down this year, I'm sure, as uh, we're covering the draft live for the Athletic. And that should be a great time. Dane, thanks again for, for all your time and your Cowboys insight over the years. It's been fantastic. And make sure... If you're listening, to download the beast, print it out, get it binded up. You've got time uh, before th- next Thursday to do that. And Dane, hopefully we'll catch up with you uh, down the road. Thanks for doing this. No, anytime. I appreciate it, guys.